New England Football Show, sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Sirianitas. And as always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Gentlemen, how are you on this Monday evening? Doing all right. How are you? Doing well. Well, could be doing better. Uh, I'm wearing my Stetson tonight. I'm a big Stetson guy, by the way. I purchased this in Fort Worth over the summer. I'm wearing it tonight to tip my hat to the Cowboys after yesterday's 38-3 shellacking of the Patriots. We're going to get to that in a second. Yesterday started off great. Celtics acquired Drew Holiday. You're excited. They're going for it. I don't know who the hell is going to come off the bench for them, but who cares? Their starting five is going to be elite. Then we got the sad news of the passing of Tim Wakefield. We want to pass along our condolences to his family. Uh, I, I think we can all say this as Bostonians and, and Red Sox fans that uh, Wake was a big part of our Red Sox experience. We're all around the same age. Um, he was a class act. He, in my opinion, was one of the easiest athletes. I'm 48. One of the easiest athletes to root for in this town in my lifetime. Um, sad to see how quickly it happened. Um, but again, y- you hate to say this, but it's a reminder that, you know what, appreciate life while you have it because uh, it's fleeting. Um, and I think that yesterday was a rough day. And then, of course, we got the news this morning that former Patriots at 49ers tight end Russ Francis also passed away yesterday at the age of 70. I was a big Russ Francis fan as a kid. Yeah, I remember some of my earliest Patriots were Patriot memories were him playing for the Patriots and they trade him to San Francisco. He comes back and plays here as the last couple of years of his career. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet Russ when I worked with WBCN uh, in the early 2000s. And for me, I was geeking out because, like I said, uh, he was one of my favorite Patriots growing up. It's it, it was a sad day for Boston sports yesterday. And then the Patriots get their asses kicked in Dallas, and that makes it even worse. So just some thoughts there, guys. I mean, again, we're all sports fans here at the end of the day. Uh, like I said, tough day for Boston yesterday. Yeah, I think um, I liked being on various social media accounts and reading all the great things over the years that Wakefield has done with you know fans, young fans, and how nice he was to everybody. Um that was pretty cool to read because I didn't know exactly – I didn't know the guy. I didn't really cover him. But, you know, he was one of those Red Sox that everybody seemed to like. And then you read all the stories about him that people are saying, and you can see why. I mean, he's just a super nice guy um, and, and just a great Red Sox player for, for over the years. Yeah, I mean, you hear the stories about him in the community, and that stands out. Um, but just as a kid growing up, you know, when you knew – he would go into a game, he'd always look ahead and see who was pitching. And for me, I always ended up with Tim Wakefield. I mean, I probably saw him hundreds of times at Fenway. Um, so, yeah, just sad day overall. And I think what hit me the most was seeing and hearing Veritek talk about it yesterday. That's a guy who never showed any emotion at all no. unless he was, you know, punching a in the face. So uh, <laughs> to see that was, was disheartening and uh, just goes to show kind of what he was as a teammate and a person. And then, Russ Francis, obviously, I'm too young. Um, I'm 35 to remember, you know, most of his playing time. But uh, he was a, a big favorite of my dad and um, always heard about, you know, kind of him developing the tight end position. So, uh, well said to start the show, a, a sad day for Boston. Yeah, Russ really was ahead of his time. He's really 
one of the first impact tight ends in the league. I mean, you had a, you had a smattering of guys prior to him. You had Mike Ditka, you had John Mackey, you had some others. Um, but in many ways, Russ Francis, with his size and his skill set, revolutionized the position because he took it from an inline position to a position where he could line up anywhere in a formation and be a matchup piece. And then, of course, Don Hasselbeck, uh, the, the father of Matt and Tim Hasselbeck and the grandfather of Nathaniel Hasselbeck at Zavarian. The two were teammates with the Patriots. Patriots were really good in 12 personnel in those years. Don had a great career at the University of Colorado. Um, and then the two of them played together here. Don eventually went on to play elsewhere for the rest of his career. But um, they were two guys that were a big part of those Patriot teams of the early 80s. And, and like I said, Russ is certainly going to be missed. A class act and a gentleman. Um, fortunate that I got to to meet him and and be able to tell him what I thought of him as a fan. Uh, before we get started here, I do want to remind you that if you are in the market to purchase your first home or to sell your current home, give our good friend Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb and his team at situate.mortgageright.com. Herb and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to answer any questions you might have. In a market like this, you need an experienced loan officer and lender to work with you. Herb Devine is that guy with over 25 years of experience in the business. He is one of the best in the area. Again, give him a call at 781-254-2846. All right, gentlemen, Patriots, go down to Texas yesterday and get their asses kicked. 38-3. to And like I said, I'm wearing my Stetson tonight. I don't wear it often, but I'm wearing it tonight to tip my hat to Dallas because, look, that looked like it was going to be a competitive game early on. It was three to three, and you're thinking to yourself, "All right, they, they might they might play well today." I mean, yeah, he missed Gasicki. Stone probably got a little excited there. He got a little tickle in his belly when he saw Gasicki open there, but then he overthrew him. So they settled for the three, and you're thinking this could be a good game. No, they fell apart after that. And you know, I I, I talked about this with John Lyons, and I'm interested in getting your take on it. There. In recent years, there have been some pretty bad Patriot losses. I think, to me, this is one of the two worst losses of the Belichick era because after that 3-3 tie, they were never in the game. Once Dallas won up 18-3, the game was over, and then they just poured it on. It's the worst loss of Bill Belichick's career, 35-point margin. And honestly, other than that playoff game a couple years ago in Buffalo, I don't know if I can really remember another game in the Belichick era where the Patriots were outclassed as much as they were yesterday. For me, it's the, the we're on the Cincinnati-Kansas City Monday night game. That's the only thing I could think of after yesterday. Um, nothing went right. Uh, Mac Jones has regressed, in my opinion. Um, and now, look, I know Bailey Zappi is not the answer. I am well aware of that fact. Um, but but you and point, Greg Olson did everything you could do yesterday to create a quarterback controversy. <laughs> not wrong. He needs ratings. I don't. Um, and he's getting them. I'm not. But um, but look, it's the decision-making was the worst part yesterday. And John is an offensive guy. You can speak to this. The, the throws across your body, the, yeah. um, the timid throws off the back foot, missing Parker wide open over the middle. Um, he looked like a high school quarterback yesterday. He looked scared, and Tom Curran said he thought he quit. I mentioned that in the piece I wrote. I'm not sure he quit, but he definitely looked scared. Yeah, so 
Um, you now have a problem at quarterback, whether it, it lasts or not remains to be seen. But most importantly, your two best defensive players are now out, probably maybe for the season. So I don't know where this goes, but it's starting to feel like this could unravel and it could be a five to six win team. I, I honestly think it's that bad. I agree. Um, my opinion on it being one of the worst losses, I think it could be just because that game against Kansas City years ago, you still had Tom Brady, you still yeah. had Rob Gronkowski, you still had Julian Edelman, you had championship-level players. You look out there on this team, it's it's hard to see them getting much better. I mean, they could get much better than that. But, like, there's not that same hope. There's not a real hope that this team is going to turn it around and go on a big run. They just don't seem to have those type of players. And really, I feel like there was a time I – was, I wasn't crazy about Mac Jones coming out of the draft. I thought he was a good player. He's all right. But it's, he's really regressed. Like, I don't know what happened to him, man. And maybe it's all this stuff from last year, but at a certain point you got to move on. you got to keep yeah. rolling. You yeah, gotta I get, agree. Yeah. I, some people have thrown that out there. But let's move on. In fact, I do want to do a quick dive into last year, but go ahead. But, uh, look, I, I know they don't have the best wide receivers, but they're not this bad. I mean, you cannot blame other people when you're chucking it across the field to a, on a pick six. And just like – but I, I wonder what Max's state of mind is right now because he can't be feeling good. And, you know, people are out, again, you know, cheering for Zappy where – to me, that doesn't solve your issues at all. Like, I don't think Bailey Zappi – they're hurting in a lot of places right now. Putting in a backup quarterback is not going to save the day, and shame on you for thinking that. You know, it's like they're, they've got a lot of problems right now. Maybe Zappi comes in. I just don't put any pressure on him because there's just – it just doesn't look right so, so far this year. It just doesn't look right. No, and I think that – the regression point is a good point. I think he has regressed. I didn't think that after the Philadelphia and Miami game. I thought that they threw the ball a bunch because they had to. I thought he played competitive in those games. You saw some regression last week. I didn't think he was great against the Jets. He was abysmal yesterday. Now, when Belichick was asked after the game why he pulled him with 341 left in the third quarter, he, he said he didn't see the point of keeping him in there, so he pulled him. Uh, look, I don't think the Patriots are trying to start a quarterback controversy here. They know that he's the best option in the building. The only way that this really goes sideways, in my opinion, in terms of making an actual change that you stick with, is if ultimately he's this bad the next two weeks and then you don't have a choice. And even then, if they go to Zappi, I don't think he's an upgrade. So then there's a possibility we might see Will Greer or Malik Cunningham at some point this season. But yesterday he just played scared in my opinion he was seeing the pressure he was feeling the pressure his mechanics were all out of whack he was throwing the ball off his back foot he wasn't comfortable he he has played tough the last couple of years I mean there are a couple of games you go back to that Baltimore game last year where he he took a beating but he hung in there he did get hurt in that game but he took a beating he hung in there he has played tough since he's been here guys but to me Yesterday, and again, I referenced this earlier, Tom Curran thought that maybe he quit a little in that game. He might have, but I think to me he played scared. Obviously, he's going to deny it. He's going to say that it's not true. 
they're going to say that it just wasn't our day. But how many times can you tell the fan base that it wasn't your day? Fans are getting sick of this. This team is not a playoff team right now, especially now that Judon is more than likely done for the year. Gonzalez is going to be out a while, if not the season. Those are two of your three best defensive players. Offensively, on paper, you have a decent skill group, but in reality, you don't. This team, I mean, I think six wins could be a stretch for this team. I really do. I mean, you look at what they have coming up. Do you really think that they're a favorite next week, like a definitive favorite against the Saints? Do you think they're a definitive favorite in a couple of weeks when they go to Vegas? I don't. I don't think that they're better than those teams. I think they're probably in the same neighborhood. So I, I just think, to me, they're in a world of trouble right now. And they made the change. They bring in O'Brien. We all applauded the move. We all still think it's a good move. But, guys, they're not better than they were last year offensively. They're not. And if you take – if you look at the numbers in their purest form, take away defensive scores, uh, you know, special teams, touchdowns, take all take all that out of the equation for a second. Just look at it on – just look at it on the basis of points scored. They were better last year. <laughs> they were better last year. I mean, think of it this way. Last year, I'll give you the scores of their first five games. They lose to Miami 20 to 7 in a game that they could have won. They go into Pittsburgh in week two and beat the Steelers 17-14. They have a shootout loss in week three to the Ravens at home, 37-26. A year ago yesterday, they were up in Green Bay where they lost in overtime 27-24. Jack Jones did score a defensive touchdown in that game, but they scored 17 points anyway, nonetheless. Then Columbus Day weekend last year. They beat the Detroit Lions at home on Pat the Patriot Day, 29-0. And then they had arguably their best game of the season, going to Cleveland the following week and beating the Browns 38-15. You can make the argument that they were better on offense last year than they are right now. And I think you could probably make a fair argument. Yeah, and two of those wins you mentioned came from Bailey's app, like, which makes it even worse. Um, the other problem, too, here is you started having questions last night about Bill Belichick's job security. So whether that's right or wrong, we can debate. But it does mean players already have to start answering. And we're only in October. so this yeah, is and, only- I, and I think that's silly. <clears throat> Correct. I do too. But the, the point is, it's starting to come up and, and come up way too early. Like these guys on top of trying to get their crap together now have to answer questions about one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest head coach of all time. Like we can say whether that's fair or not to them, but it just adds on to everything that's wrong right now. So, um, yeah, you said it. It's They're in a bad way right now, and frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if they lose to the Saints. That Saints defense is pretty good. Um, they're yeah. going to give them problems. So, uh, this might get even uglier before it gets better. Yeah, it's funny. When the when the fire Belichick stuff comes up, I always say the same thing. It's like, all right, who are you going to bring in that's better? Like who's better than the greatest coach? I, you know, look, you can, he gets plenty of blame for sure, and he's going to be held accountable. I just don't think, you know, if they made a move, I wouldn't make it at this point. I would wait to the end of the year and see what he's got. But, um, but that I mean, it's just there's nothing, you know, there's nothing that's working for them right now. I mean, you know, their defense has shown in spots to be good. If you look at that offense, what do they do well? Do they do, do they have an identity at all? No. no Their identity just, should be running the football, 
to set up their play action screen and, screen and drop back game, and then they can't run the ball. Arizona, two weeks ago, against the same Dallas defense, rushed for 226 yards. The Patriots, yeah. I believe, had 53 yards rushing yesterday. Yeah, so it's they're in a really bad way. Um, this is, you know, I do think like most years when they're sort of mediocre to not great, you can depend on Belichick out-coaching the other guy and then stealing a, a W against a better team. I don't see them being able to do that right now. They just, talent-wise on offense, there's not enough guys there to frighten defenses. And they were mentioning it in the broadcast about, like, look, they don't fear any deep guy. So they can just sort of sit on the short-to-middle routes and, 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 and get on with that. So it's – um. Not good times with Foxborough. No, but I will say this, though, right? When you look at – and I'm doing some quick research here. But when you look at that skill group, should they be this bad? No. that no, That's I mean, my point. And I, and I said this to someone today. I think when you look at that skill group, yeah, they don't have a big play guy. They don't have a big play element in the offense, and I get that. But when you look at that skill group where your tight ends are Hunter Henry, Mike Kosicki, you have Juju Smith-Schuster, Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Demario Douglas. Is that a bad skill group? Because, again, I don't think they are. Help me understand why they're so bad, because I can't wrap my brain around it. They should be a lot better than they are. And then you have the backs from Andre Stevenson, Ezekiel Elliott. Granted, I get it. Zeke, you know, is on the back nine. But they should be much better than they are with a skill group like this. Is it? Is it the system? Is it the quarterback? Why aren't they scoring more points and winning with this skill group? Ultimately, I think it's the O-line health. But Ramondre Stevenson does not look like the same player at all. No, no. Um, and you also, on the flip side, you know, you might get Tyquan Thornton back this week or within the next couple weeks, and maybe you finally have that guy down the field, but he hasn't shown that he can do it. So to answer your question, I don't know. It's probably the offensive line health, and Mac is just – you know, ultimately, um, he's jittery back there. But Stevenson not being the same guy is a huge problem. They can't run the ball against anybody right now. Yeah, I agree. They can't run the ball. Well, again, like, what they don't do anything well. And I think it, when you look at that wide receiver group, there's a lot of good. There's not a lot of great, you know. So in that respect, it hurts. They don't have – they don't have that wide receiver group is not full of guys that you need to game plan against. You know, that well, let me let me not to cut you off. Let me throw this out at you, though. If let's say this were two years ago or even three years ago, how is how does this skill group look with Tom Brady? Oh, 40, yeah. 45 year old Tom Brady. I know, I know, 12 win team at least, but that's you know. That's what you used to have, you know what I mean? So um, I'm just saying, you know. I think Kevin makes a great point. I think they're probably a 12-5 and five team. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster last year, 78 catches, 933 yards. He, he only had three though. touchdowns. Doesn't he look hurt, though, Juju? He does, and, and supposedly that's a big reason why Kansas City ultimately opted not to re-sign him, was the knee and that he's not fully healthy. But my point is, this is a guy, his three best seasons, one of them was last year, 2020 with the Steelers, 97 catches, 831 yards, nine touchdowns. 2018, 
His second year in the league, 111 catches, 1,426 yards, seven touchdowns. Now, I think the knee is an issue with him. But my point is, the knee was also an issue last year, and granted, I get it. He's playing for Andy Reid and with Patrick Mahomes. But he had a good year in Kansas City, good enough that the Patriots decided to give him a three-year contract. Now, Albert Breer talked about this last week, that internally they kind of knew that he wasn't fully healthy, but this is more about next year and year three of the contract. That that makes sense to a point, but, I mean, come on. This is a team that needs to win now. If that's the case, why are you signing this guy knowing that he's not fully healthy in 2023 and he's not really going to help you? I just don't think it makes any sense. It makes sense in terms of what Breer said, but then it doesn't make sense why they would sign him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I yeah. don't know. It, it, it's Yeah, it's just a um, – I don't know. I, I think that it, there is something to be said for the Patriots' offense being harder to pick up for receivers just based on how tough it is for them to get a guy that they draft that seems good to catch on to the offense. I don't know the ins and outs of that. That's just what people say. So that that that's just one explanation. You could you could also go back to them not paying DeAndre Hawkins. Does he change all of this right now? It's hard to tell. No, because he hasn't done uh, anything in Tennessee. True, but with this offense, you never know. It's yeah, just I don't, at this I don't point, think it makes any more of a difference. He probably doesn't, but at this point, everything is a fair question with them. Yeah, but I I, I don't think that I, I think the problem is. I think the system hasn't been changed enough. I think that O'Brien brought in some of the concepts that he liked that he's run at, at Penn State and Houston and Alabama. But I still think that at its core, it's still the system they've been running for the last – it's the system they've been running since 2014, really, because they really tweaked it with McDaniels and in, in the in the mid-2010s. But I, I just think, to me – I think it's a it's a it's a byproduct of the system. I think it's a byproduct of the offensive line not being able to pre- protect the quarterback, and I think it's a byproduct of the quarterback just not being good enough to elevate the play of the guys around him. I think that this is a skill group that if you put this skill group somewhere else, I think that that team is a lot more competitive with this skill group. I, I mean, let's look at a team. We don't even have to talk about a Buffalo or a Kansas City or a. Philadelphia or San Francisco. I mean, I, I don't know. Put Jordan Love in this offense. Are they better? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna put an elite level guy in there. I'm gonna put him in there. I think if you put Justin Fields with this skill group, they're better. I just think what it comes down to is, I think the offensive line has been that piss poor. I think that the system needs to continue to be updated, and I think that to me. The quarterback needs to be more consistent. Now, when I say the system needs to be updated, all I'm saying is is they've got to find ways to do more with these guys. Like you saw Douglas yesterday. I mean, Douglas needs to get more touches. Manufacture them for him. The kid is a weapon in space. Use him. That was a sick spin move that he put on Donovan Wilson. But, again, he did that. He got targeted two or three other times, and then you never heard from him again. So, uh, real quick, looking ahead to this week, obviously it's going to be tough sledding without Judon. We know that he has a bicep tear. Expectation is he's probably done for the year. Uh, Gonzalez, no update yet, although I suspect we'll know more about him by tomorrow. But either way you look at it, this is, this is going to be a tough game for them. Even though New Orleans has struggled offensively 
and Derek Carr is hurt. As you mentioned earlier, Kevin, Saints are pretty good on defense. This is going to be a battle. Yeah, and, and look, in years past, this is a bounce-back game for this team, right? At home, 1 o'clock, not a great team coming in. This is a game to get everything right. I don't know what get right is to them anymore. Like, I don't know what to expect on Sunday, and that's that's the scariest thing is you just don't know what team you're getting every week now. That is so um, un-Bill Belichick-like. So can they win? Sure. Will they? I have no idea. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's important that they win this game because as bad as it is now, it can get worse if they lose to the Saints at home. You know what I mean? Like, man, I wonder what uh, what would happen then. But I just feel like um, there's there's no – like you said, Kev, there's no automatic Ws anymore. You have to fight and claw for everyone. And I don't know who's going to be healthy, who's not, but they've just got to – find something that, that they can use to their advantage and, and try to win. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, look, you you literally have to take it week to week now if you're them. And don't worry about stacking wins here or who, who are you playing the next month. It's all about New Orleans. How do you win this game? Figuring out a way to win this game. And then it's, all right, we're on to Vegas. And it's really now you really have to take that incremental approach that they – you can't allow the outside noise to seep in and these guys start thinking about what's the end of the season going to look like, what's our record going to be. You can't control any of that. you got to control what's in the moment. And what's in the moment is they have an opportunity to win a football game, get back in the win column, and build some momentum going into that Vegas game. And, look, the schedule is what it is. I mean, it's it, there's, a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a lull here, but it's going to get tougher again. I mean, you've got these two games, but then you have Buffalo, Miami – then the commanders, then you're going to get into December. You got Kansas City. You got to go to Denver on Christmas Eve. The schedule is unforgiving. We know that. But right now, and we were saying, by the way, we were saying these same things a year ago, if you remember. And then they get blown out on Monday Night Football by the Bears, who are arguably the worst franchise in the league. So, you know, we've we've sang this song before, but at the end of the day, this team might be worse off this year than they were a year ago, if that's the case. I don't think we are in a position to be saying that this is a winnable game. This is a winnable game. None of them are winnable. They're all going to be a challenge for this team as as they are currently constructed. You are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show, sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. I do want to remind you guys that if you're in the market to sell your current home or buy your first home, Give our good friend Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846. You can also email him at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to help you out with the process. All right, let's shift gears here and talk some college football. And it was a tumultuous weekend in college football. So tumultuous that I've been going back and forth with my top 16 poll. It will be up tonight. It is a little late today. But I've been kind of going back and forth on what to do. I moved a bunch of teams up, dropped some teams. I've been kind of wrestling with it all day. Um, let's start with Harvard and Holy Cross. What a game. Huge win for Tim Murphy's Crimson. Pick up a 38-28 win at Polar Park against Holy Cross. We're not used to seeing this with Holy Cross. They've been dominant the last few years. But, man, this Harvard team going into the season, picked to finish fourth in the Ivy League, they have been impressive thus far. This was an impressive win for them. And I think in many ways, guys, 
it sets the table for them to go on a run here in the Ivy League. Yeah, man, 30-plus points in all three games. Um, and what's crazy about that, they didn't know who their starting quarterback was two months ago. Um, yeah. Charles DePrima had to earn the job, and he's come in and been electric for them. The The most surprising thing about this win was five turnovers for Holy Cross. That's so unlike them, um, particularly Matt Sluka throwing three picks. But um, I, I don't think it's a – it's not a nail in the coffin type loss for Holy Cross. They can still win the Patriot League. That game against Fordham is going to be tough, obviously. Um, Georgetown is going to be tough. But this is more about um, a springboard-type game for Harvard. You mentioned it. They can go run the Ivy League now, and it won't be easy. As we all know, the Ivy League is ultra-competitive every week. Um, Dartmouth has gotten off to a, a an incredible start. Um, two big wins for them. So it's going to be tough. But that kind of win, that could propel a team for the rest of the year. Um, but again, for Holy Cross, I just don't think – I think they'll bounce back this week, and ultimately they'll be right there in the end too. Yeah, I see Holy Cross still having a great season. DePrima is an interesting player because you look at his stats, and it's not that different from a typical Matthew Sluka performance. You know, his, his ability to throw the ball and run the ball and be a threat. And I, I feel like Harvard – having not seen the entire game, but just based on what I've read, Harvard did a good job of making Sluka be a passer and not kill him with his feet. Because that's really the, you know, the thing about Sluka is you can cover their receivers downfield, but if you open up a running lane for Sluka, he's going to, you know, get a first down on third down and, and take the life out of your defense. So Sluka had a really good day throwing the ball, but he didn't have a huge day running the ball. And I think that was one of the reasons why Harvard won. Yeah, and I think, look, you bring up an interesting point about Sluka, Adam, and that is I think that that's how defenses are going to scheme them. And it's I've said this to people. I don't understand why defenses don't scheme them that way more. He is more than capable of beating teams with his arm. We know that. But it's a pick-your-poison scenario if you're a defensive coordinator. You either scheme him up to where you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you a six and seven man box and you're not going to beat me on those called run play, quarterback run plays, or I'm going to give you a light box and defend the pass, which again, yes, you got Jalen Coker and they've got a couple of other guys that can make plays, but it really, even when I watched that Boston College game, it surprised me the way teams were playing them defensively. To me, I think you almost – when you play Holy Cross, you, it's all about playing a six, seven, even an eight-man box. you got to play more single high coverage that week. But the bottom line is it's about stopping that running game with Fuller and Purdy and then the designed quarterback stuff with Sluka. I just never for the life of me have understood why defenses for the last three years really have, have not defended Holy Cross that way. I just think it makes all the sense in the world. And I think you got to give Harvard credit because Harvard obviously was better than I think a lot of people thought. I mean, you got to remember, they graduated a lot of key contributors from that team. But, man, it speaks to the job that Tim Murphy and the staff have done in recruiting to where they've been able to load up and build the depth of this program to where they can they can sustain some of the losses that they had after last season. But – this is a big win for them. Remember, Holy Cross went into Cambridge last year and whacked them. You were there, Stone. So 
I think it's one of those things where is this a back-breaking loss for Holy Cross? No, it's not. They still have a couple of games that they should win ahead of that Week 9 matchup against Fordham in New York. But I do think now if you're Bob Chesney and this staff, now you got to look at this and say, okay, we lose 38-28. Our defense doesn't play well. We turn the ball over four times. That's very uncharacteristic of this program. They'll get it fixed because it's a good program with a good head coach and experienced, talented players who know how to turn it around. But that score was surprising nonetheless. Not to take anything away from Harvard, but Holy Cross has been so good that we're not used to seeing them beat themselves this way. Boston College bounces back with a much-needed come-from-behind win over Virginia 24-21 on Saturday at the Heights. Um, it didn't look good early. They fall behind 21-3, and you're thinking, oh, boy, this this could get out of hand, and it's going to get out of hand in more ways than one. The defense buckled down. Offense in the second half made some plays, and that proved to be the difference. If there was ever a program in this area that needed a win, it was Boston College, and they got that much-needed win on Saturday. I texted both of you during the first half. For the first time in four years, I honestly thought Halfley might get fired the way it looked on, on Saturday. Uh, that first half was putrid. Thomas Castellanos had his worst game by far. Um, even though they got the win, it was still his worst game uh, overall. Um, running game got going, which was impressive to see. Pat Garwell in particular coming back. He looks healthy now. I think he had 91 yards on 23 carries, something like that. So um, they need to keep doing that. Um, offensively, you're still getting nothing from the tight ends. So at some point you need something there. Receivers are are they are what they are right now. Obviously Ryan O'Keefe had a scary injury. Uh, he was back yesterday on campus, and Jeff Halfley talked about it today. Um, they have a bye next week, so there's a chance he comes back within you know two or three weeks. But they're not going to push it. You mean? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, they're going to army um, this week. Yep. Yeah, so they're not going to push him. Obviously with good reason. Um, yeah, they needed it, but uh, I don't think you learned much about this team. I still think they're mediocre at best right now. And the schedule, look, Army's not going to be easy. They're, they're dogs going into this game. Um, and Jeff Halfley talked about Army today. It's no longer three yards in a cloud of dust. Um, they can throw the ball and run the ball. Um, and, and, and Halfley said, you know, they'll run on third down to set up fourth down. Um, they'll go for it at times. So this isn't going to be easy. And until we see that, you know, kind of marquee performance from them, I still think they're a 500 team at best. Yeah, I mean, they're not far from that, though. The, the, the crazy thing they're thinking about this is if they keep beating the teams they quote-unquote should beat, which isn't a big list, they might they might make make a bowl here. They, they, like Six or seven wins is not out of the question. Now, they have to win every single game that they're supposed to or you know whatever you want by using that phrase. But like some of these teams, like Pitt, I think Pitt's got one win. You know, some of these it's teams terrible. <laughs> so, like some of the these teams that you know maybe three or four months ago you would have thought would be an automatic loss really aren't. Like Georgia Tech is that's you know I'm not saying they should win, but they're within range. So they can still they still have some goals in front of them, and making a bowl is one of them. And it's it's not as outrageous as you. You look down the the schedule. Some of those teams those. Those are games that they can win. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where, look, I said this last week, as bad as things were, 
this stretch that they're in right now where they had Virginia, Army, bye week, Georgia Tech, UConn, this was the make-or-break stretch for them. They needed to run the table in this month to have a shot at being bowl eligible, and they could still do that. And again, yeah, they didn't look good on Saturday. And I think calling them a mediocre football team at this point I think is pretty accurate. But all of a sudden now, you beat Army on Saturday, which is never a given. Mikey Stadium can be a tough place to play. You beat Army on Saturday. You're 3-3 three and three going into the bye, considering how things had gone at the beginning of the season with the loss to Northern Illinois and they almost lost to Holy Cross and the blowout loss to Louisville. If you find yourself at 3-3 three and three at the bye, you have to take that, given the, the state of this program right now. And then you have two games coming out of the bye with Georgia Tech and UConn that you can win. You find a way to win those two, all of a sudden you're 5-3. and three. Now all you got to really do is win one more to be bowl eligible. And I know, I get it, the standards are higher than that at the heights. However, you got to be realistic about what they are here. And they're a 7-5, 6-6 team at best. And 7-5, and five, unless they really turn the corner, is going to be tough for them to obtain. I think 6-6 six and six is more realistic. I think getting bowl eligibility after the start that they had would be huge to this program, but you got to win this week. Conversely, the conversation is totally different if somehow you go up there this weekend and lose. It's not going to be pretty going into that fine. Again, I'm not sure they'll make a change. And by the way, we're not rooting for that. We we think the world of Coach Halfley has been nothing but good to us. He's a good man. He's a good coach. He's a good recruiter. We want him to succeed at Boston College. but. You, you, you can't – that's been the elephant in the room the last couple of weeks. We do have to address it. All right, UMass, what a disappointing loss for them. They end up getting blown up by Arkansas State. We thought that these two games were games that they could win based on what we saw outside of that Auburn game. Not even close. They lay a total egg. Tyson, uh, Tyson Fumashan came back. He was okay. Offense took a while to get going. But overall, a bad loss to, to to not a good Arkansas State team. Calling them mediocre would probably be appropriate as well. I mean, how many more times can we say per week it's a winnable game and they don't win it? Um, at some point, as much as people love Don Brown, you're going to start hearing the chatter again. Um, how could you not? And especially the, when the losses look the way they have. Well, this was um, bad. I mean, you gave up 52 yeah. points, you lose 52-28. And you got blown out. At home. At home. Um, so, again, and same thing with as Halfley. We love Don Brown. He's been great to us. But at some point, that conversation is going to start again, especially with the UMass fan base. Now, I think it's too early. Um, it is only year two. But we all know that fan base and um, how much they want results, you know, kind of right away. They're regressing as well right now. They look like the team they've looked like the past two years, and that can't happen. Um, so, ideally, Fulmatron kind of gets back you know, into a rhythm and he looks better. But right now it's it's the same old UMass. It's um the offense has looked better than last year, but the defense has gotten way worse. They give up too many chunk big plays. Yeah. Uh you know, like you can't come back if you're giving up huge plays on the other end. You just can't do it. Um I am almost out of answers for UMass. I don't know what, you know, and because the thing is, it's not the coaching because the, you've had four or five coaches there now, and and the results are the same. So it's it's more than the coaching. 
does everybody from the players to the coaches to the fans, alumni, administration, is everybody on the same page? I don't I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't have that knowledge base of their administration and what they expect. I don't know what, what's next for this team. It, they just got to battle and, and try to get a win and find the defense they had last year. If you need pair last year's defense with this year's offense, you might have something. Right. But, you, but again, you know, uh, it's it's tough. So I, I think, you, you know, maybe towards the end of the season, their offense might have gotten a lot, of better, a lot better last year. I don't know. But I, I just don't think – there are no easy answers for UMass, and this is—it's—it's it's not just like the beginning of the season. This is like last year, the year before that, the year before that. You know, like it's—I don't know what the answers are for UMass. It's going to get a lot worse too. They go to Penn State. Like, yeah. it's going to be ugly. Yeah, yeah, and and I think look, I think at the end of the day, again, I think you bring up a good point, Adam. If you could pair last year's defense with this year's offense. You probably win four or five games, maybe even six, and end up bowl eligible. Who knows? But it, the, the regression on defense is is especially alarming. And they've had their moments. They played well against Eastern Michigan, had their spots where they played well against New Mexico State, played well at spots against Miami of Ohio. But it they they just they just cannot put it together. And unfortunately, given where they're at right now, they got Toledo coming to town this Saturday. Toledo's four and one. The schedule, the schedule, I don't think is as easy as we thought. I think one of the mistakes we made, and I think a lot of people made, when you look at UMass and UConn specifically, is you thought that the two programs were far along enough that they could win some of these games that in the past were difficult games for them to win. That we took for granted that UMass had three MAC teams on their schedule. Well, you know, I think at the end of the day. You take the MAC for granted, but the MAC's a pretty good conference. And right now, UMass is not at the same level as the top teams in the MAC or even teams that are in the middle of the MAC. So, you know, I know that the fan base is getting restless. They're not happy. That's abundantly obvious. Uh, but at the end of the day, regardless of what anyone thinks, it, what it comes down to is the people that are in that locker room. They're the ones that have to get it turned around. They have a tough, tough task. Coming up here against Toledo, Kevin, you mentioned Penn State down the road. It's not going to be easy, but right now, if you're a UMass fan, if Don Brown could somehow find a way to squeeze three wins out of this team, again, I know you don't want to hear this because it seems like you've heard it a lot in recent years. It's a step in the right direction. By the way, speaking of UMass, former UMass head coach Walt Bell was let go as offensive coordinator at Indiana this weekend, so he is out at Indiana as OC. And, of course, I posted that yesterday, and some people had to go on and make stupid-ass comments about, you know, he could work for us now. It's like, dude, shut up. Grow up. Like, seriously, I'm not uh, – it's not beyond me to say this. Like, what – what what do you, we put Walt, Belt on, Walt Bell on our shows so that we could inform UMass fans. And idiots from – by the way, idiots who represent other companies who supposedly cover UMass – are badgering us about it. It's like, he didn't come on your shows, so shut the hell up. And why should he come on your shows? They probably suck. So he didn't want to come on your shows anyway, so he came on ours. So you know what? Eat it. Anyway, UConn. Stone loved that, by the way. I can tell by the look on his face. He loved the rant. That's up his alley. All right, UConn losing 
33 to Utah State. And, you know, look, they played better, right? They played much, much better. But once again, and this has been kind of their bugaboo all year, when they need to make that key play on either side of the ball, can't make it, they lose a heartbreaker to the Aggies. I just go back to what I said last week. This, What's happening to them this year feels like it should have been happening year one. Like yeah. they skipped a I step a last point. year. Like it feels like they skipped a step last year, and obviously expectations grew. So now when you have a loss like this, it's even you know more painful. So, um, Adam, you said you have no answers for, for UMass. We have none for UConn either. I mean, you wrote this, or you uh, Tony wrote this the other day. They keep finding ways to lose and, and like crushing ways. So um, same boat as UMass right now. That game is going to be uh, with UMass. It's going to be the same as it was a couple years ago when, you know, the entire country was calling it the matchup of the two worst teams in, in you know, America. So um, I feel bad for the UConn fan base just because of how good they were a year ago, but I still don't think they're this bad. I just think it's more of a snowball effect. Um, they cannot run the ball at all, uh, which is wild given what they were last year. We talked about it. I think it was 33rd in the country. So uh, no answers for them right now either, but, I don't think it's as bad as UMass is right now. No. Um, and I think when you get to this point in the season and you don't have a win, it almost doubles down on itself because at this point you start getting desperate for that win and you sort of lose sight and your focus because you, you, you can feel the pressure and like, oh, God, are we going to go 0-12, oh you know, something like that. So it becomes harder to win because you become desperate and you start pressing and the other team's a little bit more relaxed and they can take, you know, take advantage of your mistakes. Yeah, I don't know. They it was um they had jumped off to that big lead in the in the first half and um I don't you know, it's I don't know what they gotta somehow refine that magic of that running game and really take off with that because Things build off that. Your entire offense improves when you can run the ball. Um, but they're in a bad spot, man. And, again, it's just like you mentioned, not a lot of easy answers. Uh, Taquan Roberson, 23 of 32 for 255. He did throw two touchdown passes, also had a pick. You mentioned the running game. They rushed for 218 yards. Victor Rosa, 15 carries, 92 yards. Cameron Edwards, 13 for 73 by the way, we did find out over the weekend that Devonte Houston has left the program. He's going to enter the portal. So that's not good. You know, one thing you don't want is guys leaving the program during the season. In this era of the portal, it's it's kind of become the norm. But you want to do everything you can to avoid it. Unfortunately, Houston, who was an, he was an integral part of that running game last year, and going into the season, the expectation was he was going to be a big part of that running game. He is leaving the program for greener pastures. Uh, staying uh, with college football real quick and going around New England, URI with a 49-26 win over Bryant. The Rams get back on track offensively ahead of this week's game at Brown for the Governor's Cup. Brown beat CCSU 42-20. Jake Wilcox, West Rocket, another big day at the office for the Bears. I got to tell you guys, I think this Governor's Cup game is going to be a terrific game. This is not the Brown team we saw two years ago. I think this defense is playing much better, and I think this offense can go toe-to-toe with URI. I think this is going to be a fantastic matchup. Yeah, it should be a shootout, right? Um, Kasim Hill had a huge day the other day again. Uh, that's a 
that might be one of the best QB matchups in all of New England this year between him. It's going to be fun. Um, yeah, him and Wilcox. So uh, we'll have Paige there, obviously, Paige Messier. Um, I can't wait to see how that game goes down. And um, Brown's been surprising. Given how down they were last year, we talk about how competitive the Ivy League is. They could be right there at the end of this year, too. Yeah, Jake Wilcox, the Brown quarterback, is one of the best winners in New England. He was When he was at Everett, he was on one of the best Everett teams ever with uh, in 2017. And then he transferred to Milton Academy, led them to an undefeated season, uh, or at least regular season, in 2019. Um, and Wilcox is putting up some of the best numbers in all of FCS, not just New England He's or in the Ivy League. He's one of the best quarterbacks right now in all of FCS. So he'll find a way to keep them in that game for sure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's been terrific and and their passing game, which we knew would be very good. I mean, James Perry is a terrific offensive coach. Wes Rocket having a big year. I think he ends up in an NFL camp next summer. If he doesn't, that'll be a shame. Graham Walker starting to come along. This is this is a team that has a lot of pieces offensively, and, and Perry's doing a great job along with that staff of using those pieces. UNH, tough overtime loss to Towson. The Wildcats are now two and three, which is surprising when you think about how good they looked at the beginning of the season. They have a bye week this week. Maine picks up their first win of the season, beating Stony Brook 56-28. The offense finally comes to life. Quarterback Derek Robertson had a big game for the Black Bears. They will look to make it two in a row when they head down to Richmond this weekend. Happy for Coach Stevens and the staff there. The defense has played well enough this season to keep Maine in games. It was nice to see Coach Cooper's offense come to life in this game and, and finally put up some points. And I think now that main offense, particularly that skill group, this is going to be a springboard for them. I think they're going to play much better the rest of this season. Yeah, and for, Steve, for Jordan Stevens, uh, we talked about it this morning, just what it does for the kids' confidence. Um, and, and you've been on teams that, you know, have struggled to to find wins. When you get that first one, you know, it makes all the work worth it. And you want to come back to work the next day and, and keep grinding. So if nothing else – um, he's still going to have the buy-in from those kids. And um, you mentioned that offense can get scored with people. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they got, you know, one, two more wins this year. I know it's not much, but after the the ugly start last year, it, it's a building process for them. Yeah, and uh, going back to UNH, I know they've got three losses, two against FCS teams, but I don't think they're out of it as far as, any of their real goals. Like I, I don't think anybody's going to run the table in the CAA. Um, you know, it just it seems like too deep a league for that to happen. Um, and so UNH, I think will be good. They still got lobby as, as one of the you know top running backs in the country really still. Um, and, you know, he had to really work for it the other day, but um, I, I still feel like UNH is very much in this. I think, and I think they're still ranked. Yeah, they are. They are. And and URI is still very much in it. And I do think you're right. I think, you know, when you look at Elon beats William and Mary last week, it's wide open. I mean, UNH could still, both UNH and URI could still win this thing. They're certainly going to be in the mix all the way until the end, but disappointing loss nonetheless. Going over to the Ivy League, Dartmouth picks up a big overtime win down at Penn, 23-20. Uh, freshman Owens out, the kicker, three out of four on field goals. Big Green improved to two on two and one. They come back home this Saturday to host Yale. 
who beat Morgan State to pick up their first win. Nolan Grooms had a huge game there for the Bulldogs. This is a big game. And look, I said this at the beginning of the season, especially after we lost Coach Stevens a couple weeks ago. Uh, I, I think to me, this Dartmouth team, I said it before the season, I thought they were going to play with a chip on their shoulder. Then, unfortunately, Coach Stevens passes away. And uh, I, I think they'll, they're playing with even more of a chip on their shoulder now. You know, you got Nick Howard, who's one of the captains of the team. He's just a – he embodies everything that's great about Ivy League football. Tough, physical, can beat you throwing the ball, can beat you as a runner. I mean, you know, when you look at this team, they win the old-fashioned way, right? They run the football, play good defense. I think this is going to be a hell of a game on Saturday in Hanover against Yale. Yeah, it's a statement opportunity for Dartmouth, too. Like, you know, it's still a defending champ coming in. So, um, but you mentioned um, kind of the emotional lift. Well, not lift, but the emotion that they're playing with. We talked about this again. You said it during preseason. It just kind of had that feel. Um, and then in terms of the Ivy League, it feels like every year there's a team that kind of surprises people. And I think Dartmouth might be that team this year that makes a run. And, again, I keep going back to how competitive that league is. It's going to be determined by one or two games. And this could end up being one of those games that helps determine who wins the league at the end of the year. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say was, you know, you take the preseason uh, predictions of that league and you throw them out the window because you never know how it's going to turn out. It's pretty yeah, you got to do it every year with that league because it's exactly. literally wide open every year. Uh, Harvard, by the way, will host Cornell on Friday night. Uh, going over to the NEC, Merrimack picks up a big win on the road against rival Sacred Heart, 17-7. And what was a defensive struggle? There were two defensive touchdowns in that game. Arsheen Giles scored a defensive touchdown for the Pioneers, and Merrimack scored a defensive touchdown to take the lead. And then Donovan Wadley scored a rushing touchdown to put the game away. Warriors come back home on Saturday to host Stonehill. What a disappointing loss at home against them. Not a very good St. Francis team, losing 15-10. Uh, offenses hit hit the skids here for the Skyhawks the last couple weeks, so they'll look to bounce back in what should be a pretty even game between two, two and three programs. Uh, Central Connecticut State, as we mentioned earlier, lost to Brown. They host Delaware State this week. Sacred Heart is on the road at LIU. All right, gentlemen, final segment of the evening here, and that, of course, is our high school segment, and Big one this week, Adam. You got here in Massachusetts, you got CM at Zavarian. We're going to get to that in a second. Before we do, there is a final score from Connecticut tonight. Greenwich in a makeup game from Friday night. Greenwich beat Danbury 36 0. So the number one ranked Cardinals keep rolling along. But coming back to Massachusetts for a second, and we're going to look around the rest of the region real quick. Got a big one this week, CM at Zavarian. Yeah, that'll be a great game. I mean, nobody wants to beat Catholic Memorial, save maybe King Philip, more than Zavarian because, you know, those Catholic Conference rivalries are run so deep. And those schools are not very far away from each other. It's about a maybe a 10-minute a drive at the most, 10, 15 minutes. Um so yeah, a lot Baker of Street to Clapboard Tree. Street. Yeah, clap, yeah. I don't. I still don't know what Clapboard Tree means. Uh, but uh, it's. Uh, but no. I mean, this would be a great game. You know, these are. Uh, you know, obviously CM's had some injuries, but they're still explosive. They're still very physical at the point of attack on both sides of the ball. 
Um, and Zavarian, this is a great Zavarian team. I mean, they may already have that one loss to Springfield Central, but, you know, they've got a great running back in Denzel Pierre. Quarterback Henry Hasselbeck is, you know, played outstanding the last time I saw him in that loss to Springfield Central. Um, and they got, you know, Jonathan Montero still, uh, who's going to Liberty. Hasselbeck, of course, going to Michigan State. Um, so this will be a classic. I can't wait to go. I'll be covering it. Um, you know, this is why this is why you 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 cover high school football in Massachusetts for games like these. Two great teams, two of the best in the state, going at it. I think it'll be outstanding. It'll be great theater. You should try to get there yourself if you've got the chance. Yeah, and St. John's uh, Prep picked up a big win over LaSalle over the weekend, and we kind of forget about them, but. They picked up a big cross-state win over LaSalle on Saturday. I mean, there are some people that think that they're the best team in the state. They've quietly looked like that so far. Well, they run the ball so well. And I think with St. John's Prep, there's so many faces that weren't starters last year who are doing great things. Like, you look at their running backs, Dylan Alaberti and uh, Cam LaGrasa, neither one of those guys started last year. They were, you know, backing up Carson Brown. But, you know, in true St. John's Prep fashion, I mean, St. John's Prep has such great depth compared to a lot of even the top schools in the state. So, that you know, so these guys can come and compete as seniors. Um, they've got a good offensive line. They've got good juniors at, uh, out wide. Quarterback Deacon Robillard is a good player. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive what they've done so far. Again, we're going to see exactly how good they are pretty soon. Uh, maybe not just this week. Real quick, I was at uh, Burlington and Wakefield this Friday night. Uh, the longest active win streak, <clears throat> excuse me, in Massachusetts was ended. Uh, Burlington won twenty-one nothing. Really impressive performance for Joe Poland, or Poland, uh, the running back, um, just dominant against Wakefield. Uh, and really, their defense, the Burlington defense, is flying around. Very impressive linebacking core. Um, they might give some teams some problems this year. And obviously, weather played a big factor. The ball hit the ground, um, you know, at least 10 times, I think, that I counted between both teams. But that Burlington team was physical. They were fast, um, ran the ball when they had to, and, um, again, ended the longest current streak in Massachusetts. So watch out for that Burlington team. They might make some more noise this year. And uh, also I wanted to mention the games I went to. Uh, Milton beat Weymouth 31-7. to Milton quarterback uh, Patrick Miller uh, did a, did a fantastic job running the offense. I don't know how you you you're gonna have to slow down that Milton offense. You can't stop it. Um, they just find too many holes in your defense. They can run the ball as well as throw the ball pretty well. Uh, and then the next day, I was at Bishop Fian in the Shamrocks, thirty-one to six win over Archbishop Williams. Um, Owen Mortis from Bishop Fian is a sophomore quarterback who's having a tremendous season so far. Um, so it's it's great to see what Fian's been putting together. Again, last year Fian ran the ball every, almost every down. Not every down, but close to it, especially towards the end of the season. Uh, but with Mortis at, uh, slinging it around for Fian now, they're really throwing the ball now. So it's been a total philosophy change and a great one by Brian Pinnabel, the Fian coach, uh, who's doing a great job with this team. Yeah, and, and going over to the ISL, there was a couple of big games uh, this past weekend. 
Of course, the big matchup was Lawrence Academy and Milton Academy. Lawrence Academy winning 27-26. Lawrence Academy using some big plays to win that one. It's also a big game in the NEPSAC between Darefield and Brunswick. Darefield visiting Brunswick. Darefield beat Brunswick 26-17. Cole Gear was a dude in that game. The Darefield quarterback. That's a really good Brunswick team. Wayne McGillicuddy's done a great job there rebuilding that program. They're really good up front. For Deerfield to go down there and pick up a win like that, I think is huge for that program. And we knew going into the season that Deerfield was going to be pretty good. And that, that was a statement win for them against a good Brunswick program. Um, and of course, there's plenty of great matchups coming up in the coming weeks in the NEPSAC, uh, both in the Founders League, the ISL, the Evergreen. There's some really good matchups coming up. And we're going to try to have as much coverage as we can on all of those matchups. All right, gentlemen. Final thoughts as we put a ball on this one. I'm just, uh, you know, I hate to be the downer, but like football season's flying by. You know, I was uh, talking about that in our group text. It stinks. I mean, there's great games happening, but it's like, oh, it's it's going to be halfway done soon. Uh, so um, just, I mean, hey, get out there. I think it's supposed to be nice this weekend. So get out. That's supposed to rain Saturday. Uh, all right. Well, maybe Friday. It's the fifteenth and the last nineteen Saturdays that it's going to rain or I, or I, is, yeah I, has rained. Oh, unbelievable! All yeah, right, well, sucks. Welcome to to Seattle, Massachusetts. Seattle. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. So for, so you know what? Boo to you and your pro positivity, Kirkjian. <laughs> yeah, I know. Stone, you okay. like that? You like negativity? Any final thoughts? Always, I live for spite. Um, no, get out to a game like Adam said. There's a lot. There's a lot of good college games again this weekend. Um, less so next weekend. I think we have maybe six teams on a buy. So um, get out there before it really does start to get um, some crappy weather. And uh, I'll be at Stonehill Merrimack. Uh, we will have Patriots coverage obviously from Gillette on Sunday. And uh, don't forget to subscribe and head to the store. Yeah, please do. I mean, we could use all the help we can get. This past weekend, I think we covered something like eleven or twelve games between 14. high school. 14? 13, yeah. I think. 13. So we got out there and covered 13 games between high school and college. And we do it because we have a passion for football and we love New England football and we want to share that passion with you. So any support you could give us, we would greatly appreciate. As Kevin said, go over to our membership page. You can subscribe there or just click on the link to the right side of our homepage. And if you can't afford to subscribe, and again, it's $2.99 a month. All you're giving up is a cup of coffee a month. If you can't subscribe for whatever reason, you can also support us through our apparel shop. You can also click on that link on the right-handed side of the page. You can also click on the shop NEFJ page. Some great apparel there, stuff like this. I think our, our look is clean. It's classy. You can wear it anywhere. Got some good feedback this past weekend at a gathering that I was at. Stone is wearing one of our hats. So um, there's multiple ways you could support us. We appreciate your support. We know that in order to continue to do this long-term and to continue to provide you with some of the best coverage in New England, we're going to need your support. So if you can help us out, we would greatly appreciate it. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin, I'm Tex Serenitas. I'm kidding. I'm John Serenitas. Till next time, peace. See you.